0: Welcome to the Kanoi Church Podcast. We're glad that you're interested in connecting through this teaching time. If you'd like to connect further, feel free to reach out to us through our website, CanoyChurch.org. For now, enjoy this teaching from Kanoi Church, where our mission is to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. Um. We are in the book of James, and so if you guys have your Bibles, your Bible app, if you want to use a Bible that's in the seats, I want to encourage you guys to get your Bible out and open it up. We're in James chapter 3 today. Um, if you don't have a Bible and you'd like a Bible, take one of the ones that are here in this room with you, uh, or you can go out to the Welcome Center if you don't like the color brown. There's some green ones out there, and you can grab a green one if you want, um, I think the ones that are green have smaller print. The brown ones have bigger print, if, that's a, if that matters at all. James is, um, we've, we've been talking about James for about seven weeks now. James is one of those books that we've been saying this whole time. It is so practical. James is a smart guy. He likes good theological discussion. But what James seems to like even more than good theological discussion is taking complicated ideas and making them simple. Simple enough that when we hear them read or we understand them after they've been taught, that we can take them out into the real world and live them out. That is James' main concern, that you live it out. And there's a lot of times, and today's probably one of those times again, where the, the crux of James's message is get your act together. The book of James is not a, a letter written to unbelievers. It, the point of James is not to try and convert people to following Jesus. It was a letter written to house churches that were already following Jesus. And so when James is talking to a group of people, he is talking to people who know Jesus, who say they follow Jesus, which is why he comes across as a little bit harsh in what he says to us. Very much is written to us. Now, we're removed by 2,000 years, but we are followers of Jesus. This is written to us. What I don't want is for the tone of the messages in this series to ever come across as condescending, as like just a Nick just keeps slapping us every week. Like that's, that is so not the point of this, okay? I also don't want you to ever think that when we bring the messages that i 'm trying to say that i 've got it all together, you need to get your act together, because as I put these together, I so much feel these things as well it's a it 's a message to me to get my act together as well so we 're in this thing together, and I want you guys to know that um, I think that 's it for now let 's get into this we 're going to read it we 're going to read um, we 're going to read verses 1 through 12, and then we're going to just jump into what we're we're teaching on, okay? So if you have your Bibles open, chapter 3, verse 1. Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to keep his whole body in check. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man. But no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth comes praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. All right. So it feels like a big chunk this morning. Um, we have twelve verses to go through. What I want to say to start us out is this: my my prayer, I guess, is for every week. I'll say this: my prayer every week is that we hear this and we are willing to actually take a hard look at our lives and decide if this is something like this is an area we should be commended for, or there's changes that we need to make in our life. So my assumption is that you're willing to do that. If you're willing to sit through the teaching time, my assumption is you're willing to look at your own life and decide if there's changes that need to be made. In that light, this chapter, the previous chapter we talked about last week, James sort of condemned faith without deeds. You remember that? We, we talked about our hands and knees, and we said we get on our knees to pray, we use our hands to work. And we are called to live a life of both knees and hands. And some of us live a life that is all knees and no hands. Some of us live a life that is all hands and no knees. James is saying you need to get your act together because if you have knees, then you should have hands. If Jesus has done a real work in your life, then that work should spill out of you into the world around you. So he condemns faith without works in the last chapter. People who struggle with a faith without works are more likely to struggle with this chapter today as we engage the idea of the tongue. Because if you have a faith that is all up here, that is all inside, that is no works, a faith where it doesn't come out of you, then likely you use your tongue, you use your mouth in a way that doesn't honor God. So here is my challenge to you before we get started. If today the sermon, <laughs> as it 's been said to me before, feels like a two by four, I want you to work it backwards. If it feels like a two by four today, then I need you to think about whether or not you 're all knees and no hands or all hands and no knees. okay today 's sermon will be a litmus test for last week's. OK we 're going to jump in. Um, i 've got pages of notes to share with you this morning and you know, if, if ever they, you can't read them on the screen, I bring them with me so, you know, I can show those to you if you want. I have my sermon notes. I have my notes of when I kind of work through things and try and, and figure out how I want to communicate them to you. So we're going to start off with my first page of notes. Mike, if you can pull that up on the screen. <clears throat> it, um, here Whether you can read it or not, I'm going to read it to you. Genomai, Tadaskalos, Paulus, Adelphos, Oida, Lombano, Megas, Krima. And what this is saying is really the first sentence that you find in chapter three. It's really to become master, become teacher of many brethren, know that you receive weighty judgment. I wanna bring these first couple sentences to you this morning with my notes because I think the first couple sentences this morning is the key to understanding all the other verses that we are studying this morning. In particular, I want you to look at the word that I have translated as master, but you'll see in your NIV Bible that you have probably pulled up here, the word teacher. The problem that I have with teacher is that often what this feels like is it's talking about the person that's standing here. Right? Don't, you, don't, you don't want to become a teacher because you get judged harsher. Right? And that's true. This is talking about the person who stands here. So I want to make sure you know that's true. But it's not just that, right? That's not limited to the person who is teaching from a pulpit on a Sunday morning, teaching to a community of people. I think a better translation that not a better translation. I, I want to put in another word and that's the word master. All right. I want to use teacher and master. I want both to be there. And because what this word master means, is kind of like, if you think about the local votech uh, plumbing program, the person who is the retired master plumber is probably teaching that program, right? And so that we can think of a master, someone who has mastered some sort of, um, i have an area of expertise, they've mastered some sort of knowledge base. But what's more important, even than that idea, is that in scripture, when people come running up to Jesus in the New Testament, it's this word, didaskalos, that they're often saying. When, they come, when you see the stories where they come up and they go, master, master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Master, master, we caught this woman in adultery. It's this word that they're using. So often, this word, master, is being used to refer to Jesus himself. And so, the thing that I want us to pull out of here this morning is that part of what's being called out here is not necessarily the person who is a pastor teaching, it's the person who puts themselves in the spot of Jesus. It's the person who's got it all figured out, who has all the answers, who thinks they know best, who thinks that they're the smartest. It's the person who sits in a group of people, in a Bible study, and constantly has to be opening their mouth to say what they know or what they think. It's a person who doesn't enter into that conversation with, with any bit of humility, but rather thinking, I know, I know, I know, I know. A person who is unwilling or unable able to ever be a follower, a, le- a learner, they always have to be teacher, they always have to be leader. Think about it this way, I remember um, you know, if you go up to, up to the Salunga exit on 283, you can sign up and take a, a motorcycle course up there so you can get your motorcycle license. And I did that a number of years ago, but before you ever get on a bike, they have a classroom time, where you have to sit in the classroom, you get some instruction, you take a test, and then you go out and you get on the bikes. And I remember sitting there, and the teacher was going through the material, You know, he's an experienced writer. I'm sure there's more things he could tell us, but he has material to get through. And there was somebody else in the class who kept raising their hand, who kept interjecting, who in so many ways, I think, thought they should be teaching the class rather than the guy who was teaching the class. And all that did was disrupt things. All that did was get in the way. Rather than that person just being a learner because they signed up for a course to learn, to get their motorcycle license, rather than learning from a a 40-year veteran motorcycle rider, they just had to keep interjecting. They had to keep being a leader. They had to keep being the teacher. Now, now hear me, because this is really important. We should not shy away from the places where we are called to teach or instruct. If you are called to be a teacher that is wonderful. If you are called to lead a small group or do a Bible study, wonderful. This is this James is not saying don't do that. What James is saying is you need to look at your life and decide if you're able to do that. Does your life is your life lived out is it lived out with humility? Are you able to be a learner? Do you always have to have the answer? Because what James is seeking from the house churches, he's writing this letter to what, what James believes that Jesus, his rabbi wanted in teachers was a humble person who was willing to learn as much as teach in those places. So it's not a matter of don't teach. It's a matter of getting your life in the way, getting your life being lived in the way that you should be teaching. You with me? Okay. Now, one of the things that can often happen um, that I want to guard us against is falling into the trap of thinking that our way is the right way or our standard is the standard. All right? I just, I want to call it out, especially when we have leadership positions in the church community, especially when we become teachers of the word, it's easy for that to kind of go to our head and we start to think our way is the right way, our standard is the standard. And I need us to understand that the standard is Jesus, okay? It's not you, it's Jesus, okay? We will be, and this is what James goes on to say. He says, look, you are going to receive, in a very literal way, weighty judgment. Now, if you can read my notes on the screen, the word there for receive, underneath it, it says, receive back what is offered. Very much the idea of that word is, you are going to get what you give. Which should sound familiar, right? Because we will be judged the way we judge others. We've seen that in other places in scripture, yeah? So, the way that we judge is how we will judge others. The way that we teach, boy, that's gonna come back on us. The way that we treat other people, that's gonna come back, okay? If we're censuring other people as though we are the golden standard, trying to find the fault in other people so we can elevate ourselves, we have no reason to think that on the day of judgment, that is not exactly the way that we will also be treated. Were we to think more of our own mistakes and our own offenses, we'd be less apt to judge others. Were we to think more of our own mistakes and our own offenses, we would be less apt to to judge others. The tricky thing about me saying that is that I need you to know that Jesus, God the creator, does not want you sitting in stuff that he has already liberated you from, okay? This is not, let's just heap condemnations on ourselves. Oh, woe is me, I'm terrible, I'm awful. No, that's not what's being said here, not at all. You are liberated from your past. You are liberated from your sin. That is something that should be celebrated. However, the truth is we have all sinned, we have all fallen short of the glory of God, and sometimes we get it in our head that we didn't. Or we start looking at somebody who's in a different place than us, who's still struggling with those things, and we judge them as less than us. Were we to actually remember our own mistakes and our own offenses, we would be less apt to judge other people. Okay? You hear me on that? Okay. Let's keep going. The next sentence here is the first sentence in verse 2, and it's translated, we all stumble in many ways. And Mike, you can put the next note slide up i i want to include this today because this is both important and i hope encouraging absolutely all stumble absolutely all fall all sin absolutely everybody makes mistakes that are huge or many or weighty we live in a comparative world yesterday my daughter journey was standing next to our foster daughter and said, I'm the tallest. Now, did she mean that she was the tallest in the room? No, because Carissa and I were standing in the kitchen as well, and we're clearly taller than a three-year-old. What she meant was I'm taller than the person next to me. We live in a world of nice cars and nice houses. How nice? Well, your car or your house is nice or nasty, Directly based on your neighbor's car or your neighbor's house. My wife drives a Hyundai, which is, there's nothing wrong with that. It's a great vehicle. But when that Hyundai is sitting in a parking lot full of Escalades and Range Rovers and Audis, it's the worst one in the parking lot. But when that Hyundai is sitting in a junkyard and it's the only car that starts and only car that runs, that's the best car around, right? It doesn't matter how terrible your car is if you're living in a village where you have the only car whether it's a Bugatti Veyron or a Reliant, boy, you got the best car around, right? It's based on the things around you. My neighbor's house is much bigger than my house. But compared to a third world country that's impoverished, my house is a palace. Being the valedictorian at Harvard is different than being the valedictorian at Elizabethtown High School, right? And being the valedictorian at Elizabethtown High School is is way different than not having access to education at all. A Kanoi church service getting 500 views on YouTube seems like a lot, especially when you think about how many churches don't put anything on YouTube. But it sure seems like a little bit when you look at some of the churches that get 40,000 or 100,000 views on YouTube, right? It's all based on who we're comparing ourselves to. We compare. And, and honestly, I'm not even sure that we can help it. We're so defined by our comparison to the people around us, to the things around us. It's how I know if something I have is terrible or nice. It's how I know if I'm smart or I'm dumb. It's based on whoever's standing next to me at the time. It's how I know if I'm the tallest in the room, right? This is why I think this first sentence in verse two is so important. We all stumble in many ways. And that's why I've brought it to you in the Greek this morning, so you can see that it says exactly that. This is not a trick, if anything, we could actually translate this a bit stronger than we translate it. We could say, absolutely all sin greatly. Okay? One of the things that you're being liberated from, I mean, James is talking about this law of liberation, right? For, like, for twice now, at least, that we've it's come up in Sunday morning sermons here. One of the things you're being liberated from is comparing yourself to other people. So, you have some heroes. You compare yourself to Billy Graham or Mother Teresa or Francis Chan or... I don't know, whoever. Guess what? Absolutely all have sinned greatly. Billy Graham sinned. Mother Teresa messed up. Francis Chan made mistakes. Okay, everybody sins greatly. Now, I've told this story before, I'm pretty sure. I'll tell it again this morning because I think it, it proves the point that James is trying to make. I grew up racing cars. We never had the shiniest car, we never had the fastest car, we never had the most consistent race car, but we did pretty well. But there were times when I would pull up to the starting line and I would look over at the car that I was about to race. And that thing was so long and sleek. And shiny, and the engine was chrome, and the roll cage was powder coated, and it had all the newest, nicest things. The driver had like a tinted visor. Oh, they look so cool. And my dad, who was my crew chief, I think he could just tell when I got in my own head. And he'd come over and he'd put his face right in my helmet. And he would say, Don't worry about them. You run your own race. And he would slam my visor shut. And that like Slamming my visor shut was like a reset button for me. You're right, I'm getting in my own head. I'm not gonna lose to them, I'm gonna lose to myself because all I'm doing is paying attention to what they have and I don't have. Don't worry about them, run your own race. That's what James is saying. It's a level playing field. The foot of the cross, level ground. Everybody sins greatly. Don't worry about them. Don't compare yourself to them. You don't need to stack up against them. Instead, run your own race and focus on you. Amen? Amen? Now, he goes on. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to keep his whole body in check. Now, the point of James's letter up to this point has been to tell us that genuine followers of God will participate in genuine good works as a way of obedience. This is what obedience looks like, participating in genuine good works. Obedience looks like God has done such a work in me, I cannot help but have that work come out of me into the rest of the world. Okay, The work that Christ has done is real here, so it comes out here. I have knees, I have hands. Both and, not one or the other. In verse 2, James is revealing to us that our goal is to be the kind of person that doesn't stumble. Our goal is to be the kind of person that doesn't stumble. And, and you might think, Nick, that is crazy. That's impossible. I can't handle that. And you know what? I'm with you. That sounds insane to me, to be the kind of person that doesn't stumble. But did you know that there is a, a 1 in 10,000 chance that you could p- pitch a perfect game in Major League Baseball? 1 in 10,000 chance. So, so if we're all coaches... You know, you're coaching your major league team. You have your pitchers out, and they're doing all their warm-ups. They're practicing as hard as they can. Do you go up to them and say, hey, um, buddy, you know there's only a 1 in 10,000 chance of you pitching a perfect game, so you should probably try less hard. I mean, set your sights a little bit lower, okay? Have a good game, not a perfect game, right? Isn't that what we would coach them to do? Try less hard. No, of course not. That's silly. Because even though there's a 1 in 10,000 chance... Since since 1867, there's been 23 perfect games pitched. It does happen. That's why there's a 1 in 10,000 chance. See, there's this word that I think would be really helpful this morning for us to understand what James is talking about. And the word is myopic. Myopic. And what that word really started out meaning was just somebody who's nearsighted. Somebody who lacks perspective. They can't see anything except what's right in front of them. And unfortunately, it's, it's come to be more of a, a negative term that we use for folks who can't see anything but what's right in front of them. You see, we don't set our goal to be less than a person that doesn't stumble just because it's hard. We get caught up in the idea that a person that doesn't stumble is perfect, And we go, I can't be perfect. I'll never be perfect. It's not worth me even trying. I shouldn't try that hard because I won't be. And we get so focused on the idea of being perfect that we forget what James just said absolutely all sin greatly. We get so focused right here, we forget what was just said the sentence before it. We need to keep all of that in mind as we read. So, um, Mike, can you pull up the next page of notes? What I want to do is, I want to get rid of the word mature, uh, perfect. I want to replace it with the word mature. I think we live in a weird culture and society, and I think every single one of us sitting in this room has got way too much baggage with the idea of perfect. And mature is a very fair translation. It's not about perfect, and if perfect is going to be the thing that makes you stumble, that makes you go, it's not worth trying, then let's get it out of there, because a better word could be mature. I mean, look at this. It means full-grown. It means uh, mature. Um, A person that doesn't stumble or sin or make mistakes with their speech, and the way they treat others, and the way that they teach, and the way that they are master over a subject, that is a spiritually mature person. And then James is going on to say, what's more is that person, if they can control their tongue, they can control their whole body. Now, does that mean that a person who controls their tongue, controls their mouth, that controls what they say is never going to commit adultery or murder or steal or ignore the orphan, the sick, or the widow? No, of course not. What James is doing is he's using something called hyperbole. He's trying to exaggerate something to get you to understand that he thinks controlling your tongue, controlling your mouth is the hardest thing that you are ever going to have to do. Your tongue is going to want to run away with you, with your words, with your treatment of other people. And James understands just how powerful your tongue is, just how powerful your words are, just how powerful the way you teach other people is. He wants you to get what he gets. He's not saying you're never going to sin some other way. He's saying this is going to be the hardest thing that you ever have to do, is to get your tongue in line, is to control your words. That's what he's trying to tell you. And if you can't walk away with anything else today, know this. James is certain this is a thing that everybody has to work on. No No one is outside of this. Every single person needs to work on controlling their mouth. So, like I said, I think these first two verses are kind of the key in understanding everything. So what I've done is i put it into Nick's International Version. Again, um, Again, that's not an official translation, so please don't think it is, but I'm going to put it on the screen anyway because I like to re-say things in my own words so that I can comprehend them better. Um, and so here, here's what we think the, the beginning says. Here we go. If you take on the role of teacher rather than learner or think of yourself as master rather than disciple, you should know that you receive greater judgment on what comes out of your mouth. Absolutely everyone sins. So if someone does not sin in how they use their words, they prove their spiritual maturity and their ability to restrain their whole body. Okay? Keep that in mind as we engage the last chunk of Scripture this morning. It's a big chunk. I'm going to reread it for us, and then we're going to jump in. Here we go. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All right. Bring up my last page of notes, please, Mike. So I showed you that other stuff because I thought it was important to make sure that we're on the same page. But if I was going to show you my notes only one time today, this is the page I would have showed you. And the reason that I showed you my notes originally was because I was hoping it would be helpful as you go through Scripture and you study. I wanted you to, like, I don't know. See how I do it, because maybe that would help you do it. So this is what I did as I'm reading through. I read that passage, and I start to see patterns. And I'm sure you all see the same patterns. You start seeing big things and little things, right? So bits, small. Horses, big. Rudder, small. Ship, big. Tongue, body, spark, fire. Life fire, hell fire. And one of the things that I begin to see right off the bat is there's a list of little things having an incredible effect on big things. Okay, so think about the bit of, the bit that goes in the mouth of a horse. Horse is a massive animal, all right? Everybody here read, rode a horse before, seen a horse, been around a horse, yeah? Okay, it's a massive animal, and a bit is small, right? It goes in the mouth. And with that bit, you can turn the horse where you want it to turn. Think about a ship. A ship is massive, and the rudder is tiny. And maybe, maybe the rudder is the size of your house, but that's only when the ship is the size of the block that you live on, Okay. The rudder, in comparison to the rest of the ship, is quite small. The tongue, think about your whole body mass, and then think about the mass of your tongue, tiny, big, okay? There is little things that have a great effect on big things. But here's what I begin to see as well, and that's where my little arrows come in. For better or for worse, bits and horses, rudders and ships, and tongues and a body, those are piloted. They're controlled, you have the ability to control them, okay? If you have a bit in the mouth of a horse, as long as the horse is broken, I assume, I don't know a ton about horses, it's going to follow you. It's gonna, it's gonna do what you want. If you have a rudder on a ship, then you're gonna be able to make the ship go. If there's no rudder, then of course, the ship's gonna go wherever the wind blows it. You have a tongue in your mouth and you have the ability to control it. And so one of the things that James is doing for us that I get to pass on to you is saying, guess what? You don't want it, but you're responsible for it. Your tongue is yours. In the same way that there's a rudder on a ship and a bit in the mouth of a horse, you can control it. For better or for worse, it's yours to control. But here's what happens when you don't control it. The thing that happens when you don't control your tongue is that a tiny little spark can set a million acres on fire. And, you know, you don't just go put out a million acres. You have to contain it. People die in the midst of that. It takes a long time to actually get that fire out. And there is so much destruction left in its wake when it's done. But all it takes is the tiniest little spark. Every fire starts with a tiny little spark. And you don't get to control it anymore. And when you let that go, it sets your whole life on fire. And your whole life is on fire. It's gonna feel a lot like hellfire. And that is out of your control. So the thing that I write then at the very bottom of my note page is, be in control or be out of control. If you don't choose to control what you can control, guess what, what happens next? It's out of your control. You don't get to control it anymore. You have a shot. You have responsibility. We live in a world that doesn't like responsibility. And I get that. And I also get that I don't want to be responsible either. If I'm really honest, I'd love to just say whatever I want and not be responsible for it. But I don't get that choice. Okay? Be in control or be out of control. Now, that's my notes. Mike, you can take it off the screen. I don't need it anymore. What I want to do is I want to go to the very end of this passage you know, there's, there's three kind of statements here, and I'm going to do them out of order. So if you're following along, I'm going to go verse 7 and 8, then 11 and 12, then 9 and 10, because I think it makes more sense when we're teaching it. So here's what he says in verse 7 and 8. He says, all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man, but no man can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. I have two cats in my house. I didn't go looking for cats. I'm not even particularly a cat lover, but I, I got these two cats. And um, they're, I don't want cats on my bed at nighttime. I don't want them doing their little thing on the covers or meowing next to me because they want a treat. Um, so those cats at nighttime, they need to stay in the basement, all right? That's where their water dish is. That's where their litter box is. They stay in the basement. But you know what that means I have to do? I have to go on a scavenger hunt every single night to find those darn cats. Because they want to hide under beds and in nooks and crannies and all of that. It's a nightmare, right? And even when you get your kids involved and you're like, all right, it's time for our scavenger hunt. Let's go find the cats. No one wants to actually do it, right? So I had an idea that I got from this guy named Pavlov. And what I did was that every time I would go to the basement to go feed them and put water in their dish, I'd make this sound. All the way down the steps to the basement. And I did it for a month. And after about three weeks, the cats started to come when I made the noise. And now, if I'm upstairs and I just want them downstairs, all I gotta do is go and they go running down the steps because they know that's what they're supposed to do. All right? It's gotten to the point too where when we went to the beach this summer, my sister came over to our house to feed our cats while we were gone, and I I needed to show her what to do while we were gone, so I made a video. And I thought the easiest way to do that is just gonna be to video what I do to feed and, and take care of the cats. And so I sent her the video, and when she came over while we, we were gone, she said she came over a little early so she could spend some time petting the cats because they wouldn't have had any attention for, for a bit. And, um, and so she went looking for them, but she couldn't find them. So she thought, well, you know what, I'll just go down and do the thing, feed and water them. So she started playing the video while she was going down the steps to feed them, and her volume was up, and the sound of me going <laughs> came out of her phone and the cats came running, okay? <laughs> So, so hear me, hear what James is saying, okay? We ride horses, we milk cows, we, uh, we shear sheep, we have pet lizards and snakes, we wrestle alligators, we train birds to carry messages or hunt for us. We go to SeaWorld and we see killer whales do crazy things out of the water, and if you pay enough money, you can swim with dolphins. The point that James is making is that we have figured out how to train all kinds of animals. Docile ones, dangerous ones, big ones, small ones. But no one can tame the tongue. All that we do and all that we know and all that we've gotten good at, the tongue eludes even the best of us at times. Now, go back to the baseball analogy, right? Because we're practicing to pitch the perfect game. Even though there's only a chance... Of one in ten thousand for us to pitch that, right? James is saying that you know, no matter how much you practice, no one's gonna pitch a perfect game every time. And if anything, that should encourage us. Okay? No one's gonna pitch a perfect game every time. But sometimes we get it right. So we try to get it right every single time. Means every single day. It means in every conversation. With, with the mother-in-law you can't get along with, with the kid that won't listen to you, with, I don't know, whoever it is that you, you really don't want to be talking to, we guard our tongue because we know that all it takes is a spark and there's destruction that comes. We guard our tongue. We shoot for the perfect game every time. With me? Okay. Okay. Let's keep going. Verse 11 and 12 says this. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. And, and some of what's being said here is very rooted in Middle Eastern culture. Nothing wrong with that. But that's not where we live. And so Eugene Peterson is a, was a pastor. He passed away. Um, but he wrote a paraphrase called The Message and maybe you guys have heard of that, maybe some of you guys are using the message this morning. I like the way he translates it, all right? He says this, a spring doesn't gush fresh water one day and brackish water the next day, does it? Apple trees don't bear strawberries, do they? Raspberry bushes don't bear apples, do they? You're not gonna dip into a polluted mud hole and get a cup of clear, cool water, are you? Now that, that's imagery I get, all right? James's point, of saying this is that all of these things are contrary to nature. Okay? It doesn't happen. It's unnatural. We can all agree with that. It's not hard. Apples don't come from strawberry plants. Duh, right? That's not hard to argue with. But he says that to say the next thing, which is verse 9 and 10. He says, with the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth comes praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. Apples come from apple trees, strawberries from strawberry plants, raspberries from raspberry plants. That is consistent. What is inconsistent is praising our Lord and Father from the same mouth that we curse people who have been made in His image. I love Andrew Agassi, but all the people he taught how to play tennis, man, they stink. I love Michael Jordan, but all the kids he trained how to play basketball, they're terrible. I love Johnny Cash, but all the people he taught to play guitar, ugh, awful. We're praising with one, and then we are cursing their creation with the other. And honestly, those are terrible examples. A better example is a husband and wife. Because we aren't simply God's creation. When we gathered We are the bride of Christ. It'd be like somebody, let's call them Larry, because I don't think there's any Larrys here, and if there is, I really apologize, saying, I love Nick, but I can't stand Carissa. Or or stronger than that, I love Nick, but I curse Carissa. And then Larry wants to hang out. And then Larry wants to be best friends. He wants to come and chat with me. He wants to have a cookout with my family. And the simple answer is, no, Larry, I don't want to have a cookout with you. I don't want you to come over. I don't want you to come around. I don't want to be your best friend because no matter how much you love me, if you hate my bride, it's not gonna work. We are a package deal. You don't get one without the other. You get that? I'm sure you can feel that based on whether you're married or not, you've been in a relationship or not, you get it. If you have friends that do not like your spouse or significant other, guess what? Something's not gonna work out. Either those friends are bye-bye or your significant other is bye-bye. That's just the way it works. You don't get one without the other. You don't get to go around cursing the things that God has made in his image and also praising him with the same mouth on the same day, in the same place sometimes. There's no room for that. It's not appropriate. That is not consistent, and it is contrary to nature, and that's the point. 1 John 4.20 says, Whoever claims to love God and yet hates his brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they've seen, they can't love God who they have not seen. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth comes praising and cursing, my brothers, this should not be. We Guy, get it. I have to. We have to, guys. Okay? And when that we're talking about cursing, I'm not talking about some four-letter word that was originated in 1847 in another country somewhere that got brought No. I'm talking about gossip. I am talking about slander. I am talking about you talking poorly about other people. That is what James is talking about. Would you come in here on a Sunday morning and would you take an axe to the wall? Would you come over and kick over that table? If we had communion set up, would you knock over the communion? No, you wouldn't do that because you respect it, you honor it, you care for it. And guess what? None of this even compares to being made in the image of God. And yet we're willing, we're willing to go and curse those who've been made in the image of God. Guys, we have to get it because the world thinks, and they're not wrong all the time, that we care more about this stuff than we do about them. For one, I for one, I'm not okay with it. That's not what I want to be. It's not who I want to be. It's not what I want to represent. That's not the community that I want to have. And I, I believe you're with me on that. I believe I'm not alone in that. I believe you're there with me but you can't just be there with me here. You gotta be here. So here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna ask the worship team to come back to the stage. We're gonna take this last song as, um, as a turning around. Repentance sounds like a scary church word, but it shouldn't be, Okay. It sounds like a weird, big word, and you probably have some baggage with it, but repentance is so simple. All it means is I'm going one direction, and I am turning now, and I'm going to go a different direction. And so we're going to use this song as our turning around. And you might be thinking, Nick, I don't curse anyone, and I'm glad for that. But guess what? Absolutely all sin greatly. Every single one of us can work on our mouth. Every single one of us can work on the way that we talk to people or talk about people. We have got work to do. So so stand up or sit down. Come up here or stay there. Whatever you want to do is fine with me. But but hear me. Let us take the moment this morning to get it right here. Okay, let's take a moment this morning to say, God, I'm going to commit that today, this week, I'm doing better with my mouth. Get it right here today before you walk out that door and present yourself as a hypocritical mouth to the rest of the world because the world doesn't need any more hypocrites. What the world needs is Jesus. And if you're out there being hypocritical, if you're out there praising God on Sundays and cursing people on Mondays, you aren't representing Jesus, you aren't representing God. And honestly, I don't wanna hang out with you. I want us to be a community that loves one another that wants to be together, that's even willing to keep each other accountable, and beyond all that, a community of people who love Jesus and represent God, okay? So let's do that today. Let's take this song, let's take these words, let's sing them as as much as we can, as hard as we can, and let's say, this is the turning point. The road that I was walking with my mouth, with my words, the way that I was talking to or about people, I'm done on that road. I'm getting off. And I'm going to go a whole different way. Amen? Okay, let's do it. Hi, this is Pastor Nick. Thanks for listening. I hope something that you heard today was very helpful. If you want to connect with us further, feel free to check us out on Facebook, Instagram, or our website, kanoichurch.org. Sure, I'm glad we're in this together.